so excited to be rounding off the series about Joseph. And I was trying to say that in a way that didn't make it sound as if I was pleased the series was over, because I'm not. But I just get the kind of privilege of summing up. This is the last episode for this time. Um, now, I'd thoroughly recommend if you can catch up with um, Thomas, Stu, and Pete's talks. There's the QR code, which might not work because there's no Wi-Fi, but if you take a picture, it'll work later, or just go to the church website. There's lots of wisdom. So there was lots of different definitions of resilience when I was thinking about this, and some of them are like three paragraphs long. But my favorite one was driving in adversity because it's sharp, it's to the point, and it's actually what we're talking about. We want to learn to thrive in adversity. And that's what we've been learning from Joseph, how to do that in God's kingdom. So we're just going to basically review that and round it off this morning. This is not Braveheart, by the way. It's some random resilient person, okay? <laughs> right, good, now that we've got that clear. Most people would say at some time or another that families are complicated, and they can be, and Joseph's definitely was complicated. So I'm going to give you a wee introduction to who we've got here. First, we had Abraham and Sarah, and then we had Isaac and Rebecca. Now, that Isaac would be the one that's still having flashbacks because he was laid out in the altar, seeing his dad's knife over his head just before the angel came up and said, eh, no, you don't have to do that. Then Isaac and Rebecca got together, and they had twin boys. They had Jacob and they had Esau. Now, Jacob was off to a good start. And I know we have a lovely wee Jacob. But actually, in this instance, it meant heel grasper. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, so it was off to a good start. Now, actually, in, in Jacob's life, there was a, a thread of deceit running through his life. But actually, I feel a wee bit sorry for him because see his mum, he learned all his best tricks from his mum. Here, son, and I'll make you a wee pot of soup. It's your dad's favourite. You take it into him. That'll soften him up. And then you can pinch your brother's blessings. And that'll be just all cushy. So I'm a wee bit, I do feel sorry for, for Jacob. Mum did not help. Then Jacob had to do a midnight flit because his brother was understandably raging, thought he was going to get offed. Jacob then gets busy, really busy. First of all, we've got Leah and her kids. Now, she breaks my heart. She is not the beautiful sister. She has something wrong with her eyes. She's basically trafficked by her dad to a man that doesn't want her anyway. And she just breaks my heart. She's got her kids there, mostly boys that we hear about, and I'll refer to them as Leah's boys. Um, and then we've got the beautiful sister. So this is Rachel. She's gorgeous. She's golden. She can do no wrong, basically. Um, she does have trouble getting pregnant. And while her sister wives are producing babies one after the other, she's really struggling with that. But then she becomes Joseph's mum. And unfortunately, she dies giving birth to Joseph's brother, Benjamin. Then we've got Bilhah and Zilpah. And they're basically just the family slaves. And they get in in the action. And they are Jacob's baby mums as well. So it's all 
very complicated, I think you'll agree. Now, these are the boys that sold Joseph off into slavery when Joseph was 17. Okay. Oh, did I mention that both Abraham and Isaac actually passed their wives off as their sisters at one point, just in case they get into trouble with the locals? Oh, that, that was something completely different. Okay. So, where were we? Right. Yeah. So, these boys ganged up on our Joseph. He's in Egypt from he was 17 to he was about 30. He was in prison. We'll come to all that. I felt I needed therapy after living with this family for months. But that is such good news for us. Uh, Because God really blessed these guys, and God has blessed us through these guys. And if we can use these guys with these family traits in the background, he can use us too. He can use you and me, and it's such good news. Your background isn't too complicated for Jesus to sort out. Your personality traits and your addictions, they're not beyond what Jesus can do. He can reach into them and do amazing stuff. You're not too much for him. And there's no kind of generational pattern or whatever that he can't break and set you free from. If any of this kind of resonates with you, there's a website called practicingtheway.org. And in their archives, they've got loads of good resources. Um, But one of the things they've got is a genogram. There's a genogram workbook, and basically what it is, that's just an example of a genogram. It's not unlike what we've just done with Joseph's family. You just, you go through the things that have happened in your family, events, generational sins, brokenness, relationship patterns, values, inherited values, traumas, and redemptive moments in your family's life. And this is an excerpt from the workbook itself, just to give an idea of why we'd actually use that. I'm going to put this down in a minute. (laughs) How do we discover the power of the past? We all inherit ways of living from our family and culture that are out of sync with the way of Jesus. So a key task in our apprenticeship to Jesus is being reparented into the family of God. Again, QR code or practicingthewayarchives.org. But a wee caution, it's a really, it can be a very sensitive and painful process. And I would highly encourage you, if this is something you feel is for you, that you do it with somebody that you really trust, somebody that carries lots of Jesus wisdom, maybe somebody that's been through it themselves, somebody that will pray you through the whole thing because what you find is the Holy Spirit does like spiritual surgery. And it may be this is all just a bit overwhelming and you're thinking, "Eh, no, this isn't for me just now. Maybe we can just simply start by saying, God, I know there's a lot of stuff in my past that needs dealt with. Holy Spirit, please highlight what you want to deal with today. It's a really good place to start. Just see what he says. 
Okay, so Joseph's brothers, they've been back and forward from Canaan to Egypt to get food because there's a famine. They have not recognized that it's Joseph that's actually providing their food. Joseph's put them through a few kind of tests to see whether they've changed at all or if they're still the same. And then we come to today's passage. So it's Genesis 45. Um, we're going to go through it just a couple of verses at a time. It'll be up, or you can... I think we've got Bibles, haven't we? So then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one left with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And Thomas mentioned last week that it doesn't appear that this Joseph is somebody that's holding a grudge. His emotions indicate that he's forgiven his brothers, the ones that sold him into Egypt. The only reason they didn't kill him was because there was going to be too much mess to clear up. Joseph is now second in command of Egypt, next only to Pharaoh. He's organizing one of the biggest humanitarian rescue operations the world has ever seen, and all that during a famine, which he actually predicted through dream interpretation while he was in prison for being wrongly accused of rape. And here he is, he's crying so loudly that the whole palace could hear him. Pride in his position or what people round about him thought didn't matter to him. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in us, it is dead messy. And we'd rather, oh, I'll just go in my room, do it my own. But there's something that happens sometimes in tribe with other people when all our hearts are towards God. So I would just say, let God do his stuff, let him do whatever. So going on to verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And some, something I read said, that's like, oh, come on in. It's like, I want to hug you. I want to get really close. And when they had done so, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. I love the footnote in this. Instead of, or as well as, to save your lives by a great deliverance, it can also read to save you as a great band of survivors. And I love it. That's what we are. That's what being resilient is. We're a great band of survivors that Jesus has rescued. So to be resilient, to thrive in adversity, we have to receive forgiveness ourselves. Otherwise, we're just going to get dragged down by the shame and the guilt and led off track. But we also have to forgive others and Jesus shows, hey, jo, well, Jesus does show us, but Joseph shows us what real forgiveness looks like. I love the balance between you sold me into Egypt, 
and God sent me. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not pretending this didn't happen. I, I have processed the depth of your betrayal. I have plumbed exactly what you did to me. I know I'm not pretending my head's not in the sand, but you know what? God can use even that. And I just, I love the balance there. So forgiveness is vital to being resilient. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven and so that we could forgive other people. It's an amazing privilege to be able to be free, both of those respects. So going on to verse 8. And remember, sorry, setting the scene again, we're in Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's just revealed himself to his brothers. This is them just finding out who he is. They've been buying grain from him for a couple of years now. And Joseph says, look, it wasn't you that sent me here, but God, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my dad and say, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. I think these verses just really highlight that along with the emotional and intellectual decision to forgive, there was such a practical compassion and care and provision for the people that had hurt him. In verse 12, Joseph's still speaking and he says, you can see for yourselves, so can Benjamin, that it's, it's really me that's speaking to you. Tell dad about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen and bring him down here quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and he wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. So for me, what comes out of these verses is the fact that Joseph hugged and kissed all his brothers, not just Benjamin. And these guys break my heart a wee bit. Their dad was really hands-off. He was really hands-off. He didn't take anything to do much with their discipline, with their training, with teaching them anything about life. And I kind of maybe I'm reading too much into it, I feel some of these guys won't have had a moment's affection shown them in their whole lives. And the guy that they sold and would have killed if it had been easier is now hugging and kissing them. And I just think that's such a lovely picture. I know that in today's culture, we have to be really careful, like about appropriate expressions uh, of emotion and care, um, but don't, don't underestimate that every, the small everyday acts have such a huge impact on people that we know and people that we don't know. Right, that's all been quite heavy, okay? It's about to get not quite so heavy. So, Kev and I have been doing some decluttering. We've decided we're going to travel light. Now, we've been married 33 years. We've been in that house about 25 years. You can imagine there was a lot of stuff. And we had differing opinions on how important some of this stuff was. 
So we knew that if we didn't set out our theology of throwing out before it started, there was going to be issues. So we did. It was going to be gone one way or another. If it hadn't been used in a year, hadn't been worn in a year, <clears throat> didn't fit anymore. Um, I've got more than one of them. It's not practical and it's got no sentimental value. Now, for those of you who are squirming in your seats, I'm not about to suggest that this is like a prerequisite for resilience. It's not, it's just a wee example. Um, and what we were going to, it, the choices were clear for us. We only had four choices, right? Recycle it, keep it, burn it, or put it to Blythewood. There are a couple of wee items we're still struggling with. And I think now that you know our theology of throwing out, oh, this is kind of, by the way, look what I found. <laughs> it's Jesus and his amazing, oh no, Joseph, I keep getting them mixed up. Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, and it's the actual music. Now, I, I couldn't play it. So does anybody want it? Have we got teachers here that might be doing something at school? Because I didn't... I've kind of made that decision. Somebody will get that. Right, here's another one. I need your help. Remember, we recycle it, we keep it, we bin it, or Blythewood, and that's the criteria that we're using. Okay. We have got a beautifully painted picture of Snoopy riding a wave and saying, the secret is to stay cool. Now, this was during Kev's Picasso stage some time ago. It no longer adorns the walls of our house. It was found in a cupboard. What do you think needs to happen to it? What? That's a great idea, Gav, thank you. Man Cave, it's a keeper. Right, there's a wee theme for the next two, right? So 24, 25 years ago, we moved up to Inverness and we were in the insurance industry, um, getting ready to go to the Inverness Institute of Insurance dinner. And I thought, this will be well edgy, <laughs> won't it? Well edgy. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, the hair slicked back, I've got the skinkles on. I haven't worn it since. It's been in my wardrobe. There's my theology of throwing out. Ashley wants it. It's yours, love. <laughs> and the second in the theme here. Did I mention we were in insurance, right? I want you to know before I tell you about this that I did not pay full price for this. I got it in an insurance fire sale via a friend's divorce, but that's a long story. It is a Dolce & Gabbana, full-length leopard skin coat with red lining. No! You can take it out of my cold, dead hands! I think we've made the decision about that. It comes out once a year or for any kind of party, for there might be Shania Twain music. So there you go! <laughs> so, I think you see where I'm going. Well, I hope you see where I'm going with this. These are the lenses that we chose to make these decisions by. 
And if we hadn't set out these criteria before we started the decluttering, I would still have like half-used selection of hotel toiletries because they might come in handy, right? <laughs> so, wait till we see, where are we? Okay, we're all through there. So basically, choose your lenses before the future comes into view. Joseph decided in his theology before he got into the real kind of nitty-gritty, before he was accused of rape, before he was sold into slavery, before he was in prison for 13 years, he decided ahead of time that he would continue to serve God and remain faithful and that he wouldn't take advantage of the position given him. Different people have different ways of putting this. You know, build your shelter before the storm. Get your foundation right. Draw your line in the sand. I'll go this far, no further. But it just really helped me to think about it in terms of lenses. What lenses we're going to put on when the bad stuff happens. When the bad stuff happens, that's when we get hijacked and overtaken by emotion and by pain, and by what we want. And that's not the place to be making the decision. You make it before. So Kevin and I were asked recently, in the context of Christians in business, how we retain our integrity. We roast coffee, by the way. That's our business. So a few years back, we were just getting the business up and running, and then we got a call from, let's just call him Jimmy the Finger, Jimmy the Finger was in some unspecified place down south and his supplier had let him down and could we get him this very special bean? And we did know somebody that could possibly get this bean. So we said, come on up and see us. So we'll chat. So Jimmy the Finger, Saturday morning, turns up at the roastery, big blinged out black SUV with the tinted windows. He's got his own bling on and he's got his, uh, what do you call it, his trackies on and he's just looking cool. And he made it very clear this could be a, a very good deal for us if we could help him out. Very lucrative. Um, so we got him in. We phoned our suppliers who said, oh, I'm sorry, we've got somebody else in that area. So we wouldn't be able to supply it. You, you didn't know that coffee was so full of intrigue, did you? <laughs> you can't get that bean if he's already got it. So um, this wasn't what Jimmy wanted to hear. So he says to me, um, right, Heather, why don't you just phone them back? Hopefully you'll get somebody different. But if you don't, just tell them it's that bean you want, but it's not for me. It's for somebody else, somewhere else. And I'm like, even if the guy had been daft enough to believe that story, I was feeling really uncomfortable with that. But remember, our business was just starting. This would have brought in a lot of money for us. It would have been really good for us. But I had to say to him, look, remember, bling, tracky, you know, I was, wouldn't have been surprised if his minders were in the car. <laughs> I was kind of, mm. um, I said, look, you've come to us because your supplier did the dirty on you. If if I lie for you now, what's to say I'm not going to lie to you later? How do you know you can trust us? 
so we didn't get all the business. We got a wee bit of business with them, actually, just because we'd been honest with them. But it would have been really easy to make the wrong decision. But back when we started the business, Flo and Kev and myself, we knew that this was a kingdom business and that that was the lens and that was the economy that we would use in running the business. We decided that then, I think if we hadn't, I might have been pressured into a different decision because this seemed like a really good deal. So as followers of Jesus, we're called to kingdom consistency. We believe that whatever happens and however we feel God is who he says he is, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Followers of Jesus find the lenses that we should be wearing in the Bible because that's God's word. So basically, we need to be getting in about it. What does it say? What does it mean? Can I call to mind appropriate verses when I'm in specific situations? And I'll speak to myself as well. So let's talk about some situations and some lenses. Am I okay time-wise? I'm, I'm rounding up. I'll go quick. Situation. Bad things are happening to me. No way God loves me. Your lens, our lens, my lens is we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Yeah, but I'm lonely. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's our lens. That's the truth. I've been hurt and deceived and life's so unfair. Our lens is I'm not going to judge and I'm not going to condemn. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to love the person that's damaged me and I'm going to pray for the one that's deceived me. Oh, I feel rubbish. Everything's going wrong. I'm exhausted. Our lens, I'm not going to give up meeting with my church family. I'm going to keep encouraging them. I'm going to keep on keeping on and I'm going to keep on pushing in and I'm going to get rid of everything that hinders or tangles me up. We are coming into land, I promise, right? So basically, God's word, the Bible, shows us the truth. But there's this big space in between the truth and what's actually going on in our lives. And sometimes it feels endless, that gap in the middle. It feels disappointing, it feels unpleasant, chaotic and heartbreaking. But I just want to encourage you really that it's also the place where we encounter the Holy Spirit, where he comes to us. He meets us, he trains us, he equips us, he refines us, he humbles us, he loves us and he gentles us, and he reveals the love of God for us. So there's always going to be a tension between how things are, how they should be, and how they will be when Jesus comes back. But that's the space we have to be resilient in. God hasn't left you. He is with you, and he is for you. We do need to forgive those who deeply damage us. Don't let the enemy use that platform to rob you of your potential and all that he has for you. And we do need to equip ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, Learn how to use it, how to discern God's voice through it. 
hoping God would give me a slick way to round up. But he hasn't, so I'm just going to go to my... <laughs> to my Mm-hmm.